Hi guys, and welcome in. You know normally we react to Jubilee Middle Ground episodes on the show, and today we have a special one because I'm in it, baby! Let's get into it. Alright, sorry about that. We tried to stream earlier and had some technical difficulties where we all sounded like robots, and that's because Scott's in the producer's bay today. It's not because Scott is in the producer's bay. <laughs> it's not Scott's fault. But Scott is in the producer's bay because Taylor's moved to Nashville, guys. Oh. Ooh. I'm not crying, you're crying. He moved to Nashville with his missus and they've settled down over there. But that does not mean you're not gonna see Taylor on the show. He is gonna be on the show periodically uh, for the lives. So you guys won't miss him that much. We just have to figure it out from a technical standpoint. So he's in his studio right now in Nashville. We tried to get him on, but our voices turned all robotic. Anyways, let's get into this Middle Ground episode. Y'all know how Middle Ground works. They bring in two people from opposing sides. This episode is trans women versus conservative women, and I'm a part of it. I hope you can tell which team I'm on. If you can't, just keep your mouth shut and don't let me know. <laughs> and let's get into it. Step forward if you agree. The transgender movement is indoctrinating our youth. Pause. Of course, I'm going to step forward. And now in real time, you get to watch me step forward. <laughs> we are seeing, especially on social media, on TikTok, you're seeing a lot of people in this community really just targeting children and you're seeing um, drag shows even in conservative states like Texas and um, even just media movies like it seems like everything seems to be targeted at these kids you have uh, drag story hour for kids and um, it's just really I think predatory in a way and I'm not saying every trans person is doing this but as a whole there does seem to be a route that they're taking to get to the kids and when you hear blues clues playing in the next room and then you hear the gay parade song it's blues clues you're not expecting the, the to be talking to the children about that yeah. it really makes you wonder are, are they really coming for the children and I think we see in, in our population now the, the rate of young children who are identifying as transgender, non-binary is skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to be said for people who are truly experiencing gender dysphoria, which we recognize exists, and those who are experiencing uh, what is now going to be called, or in the future going to be called, this social contagion gender dysphoria, where they're being exposed to it on social media or in school, or mom and dad are having a conversation about it with children, and children are now starting to develop gender confusion. Or even it's so weird listening to myself, first of all, and I don't know what to say because I'm like, oh, yeah, I just said it. <laughs> oh, no, no, you're killing it. Yeah, this is super smooth. <laughs> Thank you. No, I, I'll tell you a little bit about like the background of this. We met on like a Saturday morning to film this video. And of course, everybody's there waiting to go on set in the film. And like half the people are masked up and they tried to like get people to wear a mask before they go in. And I'm just like, OK whatever, uh, no, we're gonna sit down. And they're like, don't talk before the, the episode. And like, some of people like just disregarded them and just like kept talking, kept talking. But for the most part, they kept it pretty clinical in that we were sitting with each other, but weren't allowed to talk to each other before the filming started, just to keep all of our viewpoints out of open discussion before we filmed the episode. So my immediate, 
I don't want to say strategy going into this, but my temperament was like, I want to be calm. I want to keep things cool. Just talk about it from a logical research perspective. Try not to get catty with anybody. Leave the information out there and it will speak for itself. So hopefully that's what I did. Bees, right? People right. who are being born, they don't have to put the gender on the birth certificate and they're saying you can choose whatever you want to be like that's so dangerous and even lying to them saying like oh if we put you on hormone blockers at this age it won't do anything to your puberty it won't affect you long term and it's just a straight up lie and there's like an entire reddit thread dedicated to people who detransitioned talking about how much they hate their life now because they transitioned as a child and now they amputated off healthy body parts and are miserable yeah all right can the disagree a step forward I know y'all recognize one of them. The fact that the trans movement has got people shook has me so excited. I know some of y'all probably have PTSD like, again? <laughs> She's there again? Yeah, Blossom, who's on the right in the Black Trans Lives Matter shirt, was, of course, on the show after. Even though there is an abundance of requests for Gina, who's to the left of me, to be on the show. And guess what? Gina will be on the show in the new year. You guys requested it, and so many people in the Jubilee comments wanted to see it. So I reached out, and Gina is going to be on the show in the next year, uh, in the new year, to speak further about some of the things that we discussed and probably just tell her life story, because she's got a wild one. And it's interesting that she was even on this panel, because... Gina is trans, but not exactly. Gina was born intersex, so her parents had to choose which sex she was going to be at the time of her birth, and her parents chose male. And then Gina grew up and was like, I'm a female in a male's body. I'm a woman and transitioned to female. Interesting. I, just for clarification's sake, is that the same as um, a hermaphrodite? It's similar, yeah. It's like I, it's indistinguishable in some sense. So they allowed the parents at the time to go, which which sex do you want for your okay. baby, uh, and yeah, that is what that's what Gina ended up. So imagine your parents pick boy, and then you're like, I feel like a girl. That's yeah, got to be rough. that would be a tough. One. I'm like for that, you do whatever you want to do, <laughs> and I give no comment. The trans movement is not indoctrinating our youth. Our youth are understanding who they are at a younger age. And from what I was hearing over here is, a lot of what y'all were saying, I wonder would you say it to the parents? Yes. Because we need to really look at what the parents <laughs> of trans youth really go through. Trans youth, instead of them enjoying their life, playing with their friends, they're up in legislation trying to fight for basic rights here. One in five transgender youth have tried to commit suicide. Why are we trying to- But why though? But why though is the question? Because we can throw out stats about depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, particularly with trans young people, but is it because of the culture that they live in? Maybe partially. It's certainly not easy to be a trans person in America today, but is it also because gender dysphoria is often coupled with a lot of psychiatric com comorbidities and a lot of other psychiatric problems that people, for some reason, are unwilling to acknowledge? That, too. So we have to ask ourselves why. The police them. But you're bringing it only to the parents. Being The question was indoctrination in general. Am I correct? 
Mm-hmm. But they are part of but they are part of that conversation. Someone said something about drag shows coming to schools or whatnot. The kids enjoyed it. The parents just had a problem with it. But that's their issue. Okay, first of all, kids will enjoy anything if you package it up for them. You could give a baby a, a carrot dipped in dirt, and they'd be like, "This is the best day of my life." Kids enjoy what is put in front of them and entertain themselves with what is put in front of them. So, would you rather what's put in front of them be a Dr. Seuss book or a drag queen in a thong. Just a question. It's only someone dressed in drag reading a story. Is that drag not anybody. blackface for women? I see it as a caricature of womanhood. But inherently as sexual insulting. as well. I have to agree with you guys. I do not like the drag queen social hours. Um, I, I personally, you know. as a trans person, didn't ever go to a drag show until I was about 40. I, I'm, I'm not for the sexualization of kids. Why are we teaching, why are we not letting kids be kids and bringing sex into their lives so early? I think it's predatory in general to talk about sex with children. Yeah. Regard, straight sex, um, any kind a, of sex. Like, who's, 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 who's teaching sex to third grade children? I really want uh, to know. Have you looked at- who? <laughs> it's almost like mandated curriculum right now that you learn about your sexual education. And I think right about at the third grade. So there's several answers as to who. Uh, we can run through a whole docket of stories of young kids being exposed to pornographic images in their library books or in their teaching. Parents and uh, students, students coming home to parents and saying, hey, we talked about gay sex today. Project Veritas just put out a video of a dean from a private school talking about giving the children sex toys at the school to play around with and educate themselves on how they're utilized. And this dean at this school, he says... This is what like makes my job really cool. This is what I love about my job. Yeah, that was a little scary. I feel like uh, Blossom here was kind of playing on semantics. Um, you know, oh, they're not overtly teaching it necessarily in certain schools, though in some states, that's arguable. And in, in certain right. public districts, um, you know, that that's very arguable. Um, but yeah, it's it's more of the um, as you were talking to the the teachers that bring in um, certain stories or certain books or certain uh, paraphernalia that. Mm-hmm. just lends toward that teaching or uh, subliminal teaching. Um, yeah. You know, that's just as horrible, if not worse. Yeah. When I went to school, they said, hey, guys, just to let you know, Wednesday we're doing sexual education. Here's a paper about what you're going to be learning about. I want you to take this home, show it to mommy and daddy. And if mom and dad don't want you to learn about this stuff, they'll check this little box that says opt out. I don't know why we've fallen away from doing that now and why we can't just parents at the forefront of these conversations and say hey parents here's what we want to teach your child are you okay with that and if not little timmy goes and has a pizza party in the other room while the kids learn about gay sex or something like that which is basically what's happening now i and it sounds so crazy to even say because this these are conversations that were unimaginable even like five, 10 years ago happening in an elementary school, but they are happening. I wish I had pulled up that Project Veritas video, but we don't need to watch that right now. Just trust me, bro. Source, trust me, bro, but also look up Project Veritas if you want to hear it from the horse's mouth. The California curriculum for sex education? You need to. I know that when I was in preschool, I got my first crush on a boy, um, because to me at the time, in kindergarten, he looked like um, Prince Eric from Little Mermaid. Yeah, Little Mermaid. Um, I don't think like him ever crossed my mind when I was four. But obviously, like it would have been good to know that like it's okay. Like if you have these feelings for someone of the same sex. 
this story, Roxana's story, I will tell you, all the stories really break my heart to think about them, but Roxana's story really broke my heart because she's talking about herself in the past tense, talking about when she was four years old, which means when she was a four-year-old boy, she had a crush on another boy at school. And by virtue of the position she's in, the family she's in, I don't know, and maybe some sort of cultural sense, was told that's not normal, that's not okay, and look at where that pipeline led to. So you had something that's honestly quite normal for children. I know a lot of people probably won't admit this, but it is normal for children to be like, oh, I think I have a crush on that person. And sometimes that person is of the same sex of that child. And you can approach that as a parental figure or a role model or whoever you are. And you can go, absolutely not. That's disgusting. That's not okay, blah, blah, blah. And then this child goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I had a feeling that came to me very normal and naturally, and I expressed that, and now I'm being attacked for that not being okay. And you can think it's not okay as a parent, but how do you express that to your child, and what's the healthy way to navigate those feelings with your children? It's certainly not the way that it was handled here, and I can only imagine, and I don't want to speak to Roxana's situation specifically because I don't know what her specific situation is. They did not live her life, but... Hearing that as a young boy and going, whoa, this is not normal. Something is very wrong. I need to do something about this. Can you see how the path to gender dysphoria is pretty clearly like cut open for you by whoever had that reaction? Yeah. Which is why when you're looking at, uh, you know, the writing of Deborah So or Abigail Schreier, a lot of these kids who express gender dysphoria and end up going to clinics and transitioning and detransitioning, going through all this turmoil, they get to the their adult part of their lives and they go, oh, I just like somebody of the same sex. And they end up marrying somebody of the same sex or something like that. Uh, and this is statistically proven and researched. So how we respond to children that express what are normal and natural curiosities is really important as parents. It is so crazy now to look at my life and the life of people around me and think about how much of it can be tracked back to childhood experiences and how one childhood experience can shift the way that your life uh, pans out for you. It's crazy. When we think of, of youth in general, they're having sex at a lot younger age, whether we like it or not. Let's just keep it 100% real. You don't think it's real. because of that? I, don't, I do not think it's because of that. It starts at home with parents teaching their children because one of two things is going to happen. Either you teach your children or the world is going to teach your kids. That's the reality of it. They are learning about it at younger ages from some adults or even their peers who learned about it from adults. Mm -hmm. That is in definition indoctrination as a mother and seeing what my children are going to have to be introduced to at such a young age like I didn't even know what a gay person was till I was like 12 and so they're going to be having these really heavy adult conversations at a really young age just because of their exposure and that is honestly just scary because I don't want to have those conversations that's why I will be homeschooling my kids um, because I do believe it is my responsibility to protect them and shield them from the outside world which is targeting children now this is like the this is why I so often in these conversations, I like sit in the middle of what people are on both sides of things. Like I, I get what Aaliyah's saying. She's like, I didn't know what gay people were until I was 12. But to move forward with that and then say my job as a parent is to just like shield my kids from what is reality. Like it is a reality. And it's about how we have the conversation and what is in that conversation. Like your kid can know 
that gay people exist without having to know what they do sexually. And they're going to run into it. Like, it is going to be something that's seen if your kid is out in the real world walking around and seeing people. They're going to see, like, oh, those two guys are holding hands. Those two girls are holding hands. Mom, what is that? (laughs) And it's about having that conversation. Yeah, exactly. And it's also, there's something to be said for, like, teaching your child in, in like spigot form, right? You can, you can, you can dial it up or dial it back, um, as hard or as, as open as you possibly can. Um, you know, depending on their age and their development, um, psychologically, physically, all those things, you know, um, to, to help them develop, uh, as a person, because like you said, this, this is true. It's the real world. Um, and you will see this and it's, and it's helping them, um, sharpen the tools for later on in life well, when they will um, inevitably come up against this stuff so that they can discern for themselves as to what's right and wrong. Exactly. Simple as that. The trans community and the trans movement is really shaking the course of what people think gender identity is supposed to be. So in one sentence, you're saying that you guys are not responsible for the indoctrination that's currently happening. Absolutely not. And in the second sentence, you are saying we are shook by the fact that you are responsible for it. No, you are shook at the fact that the trans movement has become what it is. What do you mean? Like, and this, this is just like getting back and forth in an argument. It's interesting that when you argue with people that have established their stance, and this is something we all do. I've, I've done this on several occasions and continue to, but when they've established their stance and they go, this is where I stand and I am not moving no matter what you say, uh, then you have a problem. It's like, who are, who are you debating and what are you debating at that point? And that's how you find out who an ideologue is and Peter Bogosian, who was a former professor in Portland, really explained this to me as I was watching his videos. He's like, if you want to figure out whether or not you are dealing with somebody who is an ideologue, meaning they are just completely ideologically possessed and they are not going to budge no matter what you say, ask them a simple question. And the question is, look at the subject matter that you're talking about and say, what information would I have to put in front of your face for you to take the opposite stance that you're taking right now? And if that person looks at you and says, there is nothing you could possibly say that's going to make me change my mind on this, you're dealing with an ideologue. There's really no reason to input more of your effort into that conversation because they don't want to change from where they are, even if truth is enlightened for them and uh, they see it with their own eyes. And that seems to be the case here. And a movement that influences uh, um, people powerful. all over the world, and particularly children. And we see it in the fact that the, the number of young people identifying as transgender, non-binary, gender fluid, gender queer is skyrocketing, which means that children are being exposed to these ideas. And it's certainly coming from institutions like the media, like Hollywood, like our public institutions and schools. So to say that that is not happening or to deny that that is the reality negates the numbers that we're seeing. What I would say is that... The idea that there is a single transgender movement and ideology is disingenuous and that at its core, being transgender is about separating sex from sex roles and gender roles. That it's in, What's interesting to me is that nobody ever said there was a single transgender movement, but we can all acknowledge that there is. Many movements surrounding transgenderism, gender expression, gender identity, all of these things. It doesn't mean that we have to pin it down on uh, a particular group of people, a particular set of, uh, set of guidelines or tenets, but there certainly is an overall movement uh, 
uh, that is happening in this country and, and that people are talking about and, and falling victim to. Are compulsory. Do you think that children should be able to transition medically? No. I think. No. no. It just really depends. Tina said no. Based. It's on each individual um, situation. They should be able to make the best medical decision for them. I am comfortable sharing bathrooms with the other side. Honestly? Honestly. Oh, gotta have those YouTube ads. With this question, I walked forward for this question, which at the time I just sort of went back and forth in my brain and I was like, you know what? I am gonna walk forward for this question. And here's why. When you look at trans people like Roxana in this video, Gina in this video, even Blossom to a certain extent, people like Blair White, Nikita Dragon, who's like a big makeup artist, to the outside world and to anybody with a set of eyes, if Nikita Dragon walked past you, you might think, is that a trans person? But overall, you think that's a woman, right? What bathroom do you want somebody like Nikita Dragon going to? I, I don't know, you could say the men's bathroom, but I'm not sure how well that would go over or what that would look like. And this really opened my eyes during this conversation because uh, Gina will get into that point and uh, we'll watch and, and respond to it as it happens. But it, it's an interesting question to pose for yourself. Yes, I feel comfortable. Safe, that might be a different question, but comfortable yes I feel comfortable what I think uh, the bathroom issue opens up is an issue of predatory men taking advantage of the opening that now they could walk into a woman's bathroom or a woman's locker room as we've seen happen in instances like here in Los Angeles at we spa mm -hmm. and they go into a woman's space they expose themselves to the women and then they say well I'm a trans woman and you've opened up this space for me but we cannot blame trans people for that and, Nobody's and that's blaming and you that's that's the that's the problem right here because again when you walk into the bathroom I'm not interested in knowing what you are what you identify as I'm trying to use the bathroom and leave out of there sure but what about the people who aren't <laughs> what people have tried to say is that when trans women go in the bathroom they're being predatory and that is not the case that is something we do not blame on trans no. women although you were not saying that when we talk about predatory behavior and when we talk about like the the predatory cases none of them have been trans women so let's just i just want to make sure i know she's not i'm not i know she's not strictly doing that but because she said that i think it's very important that none of them have been trans women Who's to say? <laughs> Who's to say? Because now we live in an era where I can wake up tomorrow and say I identify as a man and I should expect people to treat me as a man. So if I identify as a man and then go commit a crime, am I a trans person who committed a crime? To the world I am because I self-identified myself as that. If you look up the case of Hannah Tubbs, Hannah Tubbs is a biological male who went into a bathroom at a restaurant, I believe, something like a Denny's or a Wendy's or something like that, and sexually assaulted a little girl, okay? So Hannah Tubbs, who now identifies as a woman, gets arrested for this sexual assault, and Hannah Tubbs goes, I'm a woman. I want to be put in a female facility. Now, whether or not that happens, uh, I'd have to look into the story and let you know. But at that point, when somebody self-identifies as trans, even though all of their biological and physical markers say otherwise, what are we meant to do as a society with that? Yeah, and it's I find it interesting. Blossom seems to be saying, like, you can't say these overarching, sweeping uh, statements that are, um, you know, black and white and binary. Yet she's saying on the other end that none of these events that have been in the news mm -hmm. are by 
trans women. And it's like, well, you're making a binary statement there yourself and not accepting the nuance of your own claim. Dude, there was so much jumping around in this and it's like hard to keep up with what what people are saying, honestly. I bring that out on the table and discuss that. We have to have the conversation and I'll, I'll open up the question. We know that if this legislation happens, if we move forward with this move, there are going to be men who take advantage of it. Now, I, I want to ask you, is your comfort as far as going to the bathroom more important than the female women that will be victimized by this? Who said female women will be victimized by this? They will and they have. No, you're only it's assuming, like, but the on, reality of it is, again, when people are going into the restroom, when people are only going into the restroom, they're only focused on doing one or two things, and that's using the restroom. Yeah. I, um, let me, but let you me, didn't answer the question. Is your comfort more important than the female people who could be victimized by this? Okay, so let's, let me ask, let me help her answer the question. Which one do you think I'm going to get the kicked out of me in? Great question. It wasn't the women's restroom. The, the issue that, that you're bringing up, first of all, is already violating a whole bunch of laws. Okay, if somebody's exposing themselves in a bathroom, that's a whole different environment rather than just letting trans people in. Uh, in, in California, it's right now 100% legal for trans people to go use the bathroom of their choice. So I don't know what law you're talking about. You're asking this question. And this is so, what Gina just said, so valid. And this is something to think about as well. So where do the lines get drawn? Is it like trans passing people can go to the bathroom of their choice? Is it unisex bathrooms, which what would be like, what, an overhaul of all bathrooms in the United States of America to make this happen? Is it that trans people who self-ID, which means people who look like men can go into a woman's bathroom if they want to go to a woman's bathroom? Where is the line drawn in this situation? And at, at what? And that, honestly, I don't have a distinct answer for you. My My initial feeling is that You know, biology is biology, and you were born in the body you were born in, and sometimes you get tough cards thrown at you, but also, I don't want somebody who looks like Nikita Dragon or Blair White or even Gina having to go into a a men's bathroom. I don't know what would happen uh, to somebody who looked like that walking into a men's bathroom. If we're just being honest, like we got to be real about this stuff. Uh, Who who is going to get beat up doing that? Probably them. Uh, so it's, it's a tough conversation to have. And in it, I lean towards, you know, recognizing biological sex, but that is to, uh, probably the harm of other people, but whose harm, uh, who needs defending in this case? And it's something that we're going to continue to toggle with and toil with for seemingly the rest of time. If this continues. Yeah as if I would not stand up for cis women that were in the restroom. And that's not the case. Um, Nice dodge there. But the reality of it is, one thing I'm noticing is we're reducing a lot of these particular conversations to genitalia. And it's not about genitalia. But it is about genitalia. It very much is about genitalia. Okay? What, What stops us from being angry about a trans woman who looks like a woman coming into a woman's bathroom because we can't tell and why can't we tell because that person has probably gone through the surgeries and all of the treatment that it takes to present as a woman whereas if somebody who looks like Dwayne the Rock Johnson walks into my bathroom 
I'm going to turn around and say, what the hell are you doing in this bathroom? So it very much is about appearance and at the end of the day, genitalia. If women are concerned about being assaulted in their bathrooms and in their spaces, what are they being assaulted by? Somebody's genitalia. So it very much is about that. It's about safety. Yeah, her concern is the possibility of predation. And, or, and that's, that's still a probability. It doesn't matter if, if trans people are using the restroom or not. Sure. What, what, you, what you're concerned about is that you're maybe possibly that people feel more emboldened to put on women's clothes and go into the bathroom. But they're still violating the law all sure. over the place if that's the purpose that they're going in for. The thing is, should you make it easier for people to violate the law? Should you embolden people who want to violate the law to violate the law? And I can see being on both sides of that argument, which is why this is a unique uh, discussion with a lot of nuance and a tough one, a tough one. I wish it was just like one stall unisex bathrooms in every establishment and you go and guess what? The bathroom's yours. And it doesn't matter who's who else wants to go to the bathroom because you have one stall and that's your bathroom. But tis not the case. Yeah, so I did a step forward because, um, and I know in today's age, this is going to sound very radical and, you know, um, but I just, I don't agree with um, the whole transgender ideology. And so for me, it's encouraging something that is based in what I feel is delusion. And so I don't think that we should be encouraging that by allowing men into women's restrooms. Another ad. So she's basically making the argument that biological sex is real. There's and denying that is denying reality. So our bathroom should not deny what is reality. Uh, and yeah, of course, there's there's a that's a valid stance as well. I think that if that's the case, that to some extent, all gender is delusion. If we're looking at uh, historically, anywhere from, you know, midwives after the enclosure of the commons in the 1400s, um, having their whole trade affected, or Brewsters having their trade affected, and now we don't think of women as, you know, Brewsters, or that creating beer is a womanly thing. These all came from social conditions. These all came, a, a lot of gender, regardless of biological sex, it didn't like naturally flow out of our genitals. And like, it was like, you know, we're like, this is how my genitals are. So this is like how my gender is going to be. That didn't happen. That's, that's not life. And this is why the like language movement of gender and sex has become problematic. What she's referring to are just like roles that have been, uh, traditional to certain sexes and those roles shift and change and society shifts and change and all these things. But we've somehow come to a place where we've like created a fork in the road where now sex is here and gender is something that is wholly separate from sex. And I, I do deny that that recent shift uh, in that you are born in the sex that you're born in, which is very much binary and does not change how you express yourself is always going to change. It's always going to be spectrum. And it is always going to be, for the most part, a result of the environment that you grow up in. If you grow up in a household where the men are subservient to the women and very kind and compassionate and soft and, and emotional and the women are lumberjack axe throwers, then guess what? You're going to take on the path uh, 
of of what you were nurtured in in that environment more times than not. Uh, but that doesn't speak to people being able to step outside of their biological sex and step into a new one. Like a lot of people who are either transgender or who are um, LGBT in general, all my friends were girls. At first, I, I just remember there were a lot of things where like I would kind of like come up against people telling me that that's wrong, like that whether it's something I like, something I want to do. It wasn't until kindergarten that like someone told me that I'm a boy and I was like, oh. Like what? Wait, it wasn't until you were in kindergarten that somebody told you you were a boy? See, this just sounds like very much product of environment and product of influence. Like, how is it that nobody had that conversation or that something like that didn't come up? And why is it that your interests are influencing your direct identity? Because we can all be interested in several different things. There are boys who can be interested in things that girls like and can be very effeminate and can even like other boys. And that happens. But then to come down on that child and maybe not give them a sense of direction in who they are as a person or at least who they just biologically happen to be can lead to other problems. And it probably does lead to a lot of confusion and a lot of just a, a lack of an, of an avenue to, to go down as far as how you see yourself. And I can only imagine the discomfort one might feel in their body if they didn't learn that uh, until they were five. I don't feel comfortable going to any bathroom in this world, like in, in the current society we live in. And to make trans women the whipping girls of that, um, I, I think that's disingenuous, but I do think that we need a systemic change to make ourselves safer. I don't really know anyone who doesn't feel a little bit uncomfortable going to the bathroom. And trans people are not a delusion. Let's make it very clear. We're here. We've been here for ages. We've been here since the beginning of time. We're in your history books. Um, and I don't think, I think it's very disingenuous to say that a whole identity is a delusion. Well, I believe that you feel like women. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there is an objective truth and I don't believe in his truth, her truth, their truth, my truth. Like there is truth and... Who defined that it, truth? And like it's already it's already defined and i as a christian i believe god is the one who set truth but who <laughs> defined is that? the truth can you tell me who i i so the reason the christian perspective is probably never going to work uh in an argument like this is that when you're speaking to people who don't subscribe to your religion saying that it's your religion is probably not helpful to to the debate but i understand it's her personal beliefs what is she going to say other than that's my personal belief um but the a great answer to this is like, who decides what is true? That was the question posed out. So let's do a little experiment. Tomorrow we erase everybody's memory on the on this entire planet. We erase all of our, our books about scientific law, scientific theory, biology. And in a hundred or so years, I'll, we'll check back in on human civilization. And guess what? We will have come to the same conclusion. We will have developed our sciences, developed our, our theories, developed laws that will remain. Gravity and the the notion of its existence, uh, the notion of its, of its existence might go away if you erased everybody's memory. But gravity doesn't go away when you erase everybody's memories. The acceptance of different sets of chromosomes for men and women might go away if you erase everybody's memory. But 
the difference in chromosomes does not go away when you erase everybody's memory. So where is that truth derived from, from fact in law that is, quite frankly, easily discoverable in today's time, but took a little while for the humans before us. But if you erase all of that today, it will come back with time. Who define that? God. Living in the Bible Belt with religion, taking center stage, it's hard for a lot of trans and non-binary folks like myself to really be able to express who they are. I had to really take on my gender dysphoria in private. I couldn't talk to my mom about it. I couldn't talk to my dad, my siblings, because ultimately I felt like it wasn't going to lead to anything because there wasn't a lot of education in the cis community like there is in the trans and non-binary community. We're talking about a book that was written by man with his, with his own bias. Who created chromosomes? Yeah, I'm but personally not also, religious and I believe in science. All, when we talk about chromosomes, it goes back to the conversation we were talking about earlier about being intersex. But we're not talking about intersex, we're talking about people who were born as a male and they try to transition. The whole fact that they're trying to transition into a female in the first place shows that they aren't actually that, that or else there would be no need to transition, right? So you say, okay, I feel like a woman. What is that? What does that feel like? Yeah, how, how does that And how do you know? We're not saying, I'm not saying I feel like a woman. I am a woman. I don't so oh, come on. How did you get to that conclusion? Because in your mind, you felt like a woman. There's not much more to say there, Scott. Yeah, I, I would add to like her her talking about the Bible and it being written by a man with a specific um, you know uh, agenda mm -hmm. to it. Um, you know, I would have to push back on that and leaving leaving the religious aspect of what the Bible is aside. Sure. Um, if even if you look at it from just a uh, empirical standpoint, it's it literally was written over span of thousands of years, and it's an aggregate s story that mankind has put together. Right. and piece together um, to help build a map for people to move move forward in the world in a positive manner. Um, so for her to say it's just like strictly one man yeah. that decides it, <laughs> that, that is, it's, it, it was literally mankind. <laughs> Some guy sat and etched it. <laughs> he etch-a-sketched it. <laughs> well, then why did you I transition? Not, why can't you just present as a man but be a woman? I transitioned so I could be who I was. I did not feel like I was the person that I identified with when I was born. So I took the steps to align my outside body with how I feel on the inside. What makes you stand up every day and make you identify as a woman? Let me challenge you on that. I am a woman. And I don't like being called a cis woman because I'm not a cis woman. I'm a woman. Yep. I'm not a birthing well, person. I'm a yeah. mother. So get mad at the terminology, not at trans people. It's your new terminology but this is what this is what i notice a lot of cis women do the terminology has been around for so long cis is a prefix cis means same no it's not been around for so long <laughs> it really hasn't instead of getting mad at trans and non-binary people for using updated terminology get mad at webster you're not going along with the times and being educated on the different pronouns that and the different identities she just said it's been around for a really long time, but also you're not using the updated version. Yeah, and she's also she's also saying get mad at the pronouns, which they have brought forth and shoved down everyone's throat to utilize and to use in order to affirm them in their existence, which she says has, as you say, have always been around. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, it's just, it's kind of circular logic here. Yep, it's just like jumping around, jumping around, jumping around. Uh, now we're going to skip this next question because it doesn't really get into that much of a debate. But here is the next statement. 
after the spam <laughs> ad. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, the next statement is that trans women should be able to compete in female sports. And I was actually shocked at the response that they had to this because Blossom, of course, is the only one who walked forward and said, yes, trans women should be able to compete in sports. And it is really contingent upon, again, a denial or at least an outright bending of reality. In women's sports. I do think that trans women have every right to compete in women's sports. When trans women are on hormones, the hormones break their body down. Having gender affirming surgery, breaks down the body. And so I think we really need to be educated before we jump to a conclusion that trans women are stronger than cis women in sports. Hi, everybody. Uh, I find it interesting that you assume the people who disagree with you are uneducated. And I, I will speak out against that. I think the research shows that uh, trans women do happen to have a biological advantage um, against biological women. Uh, even though you are taking hormones and that does start to change your body and level things out, we're talking about primarily people who have transitioned post-puberty, which means they do have male bone density, male wingspan, male hand size, feet size, lung capacity. All of these things are going against women, biological women, when trans women start to enter their spaces, their sports, and compete against them. Uh, and, and this is really concerning for me. I think for me, it's not a question of whether or not trans women can compete in sports. It's a question of how can we change the institution of sports in this country to make it equitable and to create more opportunity for cis women. Um, I get what you're trying to get at, but that is definitely not the question at hand. The question at hand is, should trans women be able to compete in women's sports? And as far as equity, there's no equity needed in sports. Sports kind of sits where it sits because people have made the choice that they've made about what sports they want to watch, how they want to watch them, and how much money those sports they want to those sports they want to give. Uh, and that's everybody expressing their personal freedoms when it comes to their entertainment. Uh, and just because there happens to be a difference in people watching women's sports versus men's sports does not mean that difference is wrong. For trans women, and like that's kind of like why I wanted to actually ask you all, like, what is your relationship to sports been? I don't think you have to have a direct relationship to sports to realize that women are being affected by this issue. And I do uh, reject the idea of equity. Uh, there is no way to, to come about an equality of outcome, which is what equity is saying. There's a reason that uh, women's sports are, are less funded and less watched than men's sports. It's because men seem to excel athletically and they seem to press the bounds of athleticism way farther than women do. We and it's interesting that the question gets spun into what is your relationship with with sports? It's almost like when you see like the pro-lifers and the pro-choicers who are out at their different protests and the pro-choicers are like, how many kids have you adopted? It's like, well, that is not the question at hand. The question at hand is whether or not uh, either of us thinks that this is right or wrong. So we can get into that debate. But you turning around and saying, well, how much women's sports do you watch has nothing to do with the question at hand. We now exist on a slippery slope. 
If it's female sports, is it then female locker rooms? Is it then female prisons, which we're now seeing uh, becoming an issue here in California, where biological male inmates are being put in female facilities because they identify as women? We have to discuss as a society how much we give into the feelings of wanting everybody to be accepted and how much we are willing to do that at the expense of biological women. I, I use myself as an example. Um, this is about how big I was in junior high school and, and early high school. I used to be able to walk up to a V8 engine block, pick it up off the floor and set it on a table. And if I was in powerlifting or weightlifting, that amount of, uh, I mean, that advantage was just unbelievable. I've been on hormones for 15 years. Did it weaken me? Absolutely. Did my, you know, my bone density really hasn't changed. My muscle muscular hasn't changed. And this is not a binary question. There's a lot of nuances involved. Big applause to Gina, by the way, for just being so real about everything. There's how you feel about something, and then there's the truth of like what you've what you've gone through and what you've experienced and you can express what you've gone through and what you've experienced while still having your your belief system on that and it seems to be a general thing with blossom like when blossom came on the show after jubilee i asked blossom when she was on with another not another transgender person but a transsexual person i said blossom what were the side effects or some of the long-term ramifications that you deal with having undergone this gender transition and she said oh there's absolutely none no side effects no long-term ramifications i find that really hard to believe i mean Blossom's undergone facial feminization, which is facial plastic surgery. A basic side effect of any plastic surgery is just, you know, swelling, bruising, things like that. You can acknowledge that and that be the truth and still say, I'm so glad that I went through the process, though. So, yeah, I did have side effect this, side effect that. The hormones did this to my body and changed it in this way and I had to deal with this. But I'm still happy I made that choice. And when you ask Buck that, because Buck is really aligned in the truth of his self and his existence, he's going, yeah, I dealt with this. I dealt with these hormone changes. I still don't even know what the long-term effects of being on testosterone my entire life are. I had my cervix and my uterus fused together and create a painful infection that led me to be admitted into the hospital because of the testosterone shots that I was on. These are the things that I dealt with, but I'm glad I went through that transition because now I am happy and comfortable in my body. The two things can be true at the same time. So to not be able to acknowledge that to me speaks to the fact that you are safeguarding yourself from recognizing what is reality. I just want to ask a question for what you were saying. Can you throw out some statistics? I don't think you need to have there. So there's there's an abundance of research. There's even trans activists who agree with exactly what I'm saying. And your hormones can change, right? And even she just spoke to the fact that her bone density did not change yeah. uh, in, in going on hormones and changing these things. Yeah. And we can see it in <laughs> sports as we're watching them. Leah Thomas is a great example. Gosh. So if you can't throw out the statistics, we're not doing enough of the work. Says who? Says who? <laughs> it's like being like, if I take these AirPods right now and I let go, they will drop. And then somebody goes, you got stats to prove that? What's your source on, on those dropping out of your hand if you open your palm? And you go, um, and they go, well, if you don't have stats, you're not doing the work. 
that's that's what it's like, guys. <laughs> that's what it's like. Because we know if Scott and I, if I'm like Scott, you know, do you want to fight like they fight in the UFC? And you want to go enter the ring with me on Saturday? And Scott's like, yeah, you know what? I'll do that. And I go, I think Scott's going to beat my ass. <laughs> Put him up. Yeah. They'll be like, what stats do you have to prove that that's the case? Um, I don't know. Maybe because he's a grown man. Anyways. And let's also be clear. Let's also be clear. There are some cisgender women who produce high levels of testosterone as well. And so we really have to unpack it from all different sides here. Can you produce statistics about the bone density of biological men and how it changes upon being on hormones and whether or not it levels out to biological women? I actually cannot because when I would think of those statistics, I would think it was BS. To be quite honest with you, because the reality of it is, we could talk about (laughs) my face. I just. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't even know what to say. It well, Just. it was like she was she was hanging her hat on um, statistics being the like the sole factor for making your argument, and then just said that statistics don't matter in this situation because it's all about experience. Right, which is, again, a marker of dealing with an ideologue, guys. And it's not something that should be offensive to say, but it's somebody who's who's thinking, no matter what you tell me, my opinion is not changing. No matter all of the facts that you put in front of my face, the abundance of information we have available to us, my opinion on this will not change. And I say this knowing that I do that with certain things in my life, that there are certain blinders that I have on that if you try to talk to me about a certain subject for some reason, my mind does not want to be changed about that subject and it will stay that way. And we all have ours. We all have a list of them and it would probably behoove us to find out what that list is before you know we kick the bucket. But- this is just one of them. That's just one of them. Yeah, but you you have the humility to even acknowledge the fact that you have them, one, in the first place, and yeah. two, that you know ultimately it might be deep down that you just need them to be true. Right. But like ultimately you're going to come to, you know, face those hopefully in, hopefully in, in your lifetime. <laughs> but it's like there there is a level of humi- humility that you're showing in that in that moment and even expressing that that right. someone like an ideologue doesn't. Right. It's very true about statistics and the research all day long, but it's about experience. We're gonna be looking more at the experience because again, when we look at cisgender women who produce high levels of testosterone and who have been kicked out of sports Mm -hmm. and been disqualified from teams based on something that they biologically cannot control, then what are we really talking about here? Well, we're talking about, I mean, data and that is overwhelming. And we're talking about what is also we're capable of seeing with our, our human eyes. I think it's very clear that if you compare maybe you to the rest of us, there is going to be a strength difference. There's going to be a bone density difference. But you're just saying that you don't know until we, can, we physically do something. Can, and just perceiving and assuming just because I look a certain way, that's not fair. Me, her, could look the, we could look completely different or whatever, but she may be stronger than me. I agree, but she we may know. have she have much more agility and vitality. <laughs> I'm like trying to keep my calm. You're I so feel nice. like I stay pretty calm. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. And the comments were actually overwhelmingly super positive on this Jubilee video. And y'all, I really tried. I was like, I'm gonna stay calm, cool, collected during this whole thing. And uh I think I did and I, I hopefully I'm remaining than I do. We don't know that until you actually do it. I'm until saying you it has been done. studied, it's been done. And it's so, been done, we've seen it. Yeah, but it's time, an assumption, time time again. but we're only but going assumption. on assumption at this point. Because again- It's not assumption, it's when science. we see, when we see it, 
Maybe it's the, the news cycle that I watch, but I see it a lot. I see it quite How charitable of her to say, maybe it's the news cycle that I watch. Quite often where they're showing um, trans women beating, I mean, I'm by far. And you don't see women dominating. Dominate. I mean, literally beating, like in fights. You have trans women beating up other women. That's what we're talking about here. So just to, to be able to look at that, see it, watch it, and then just deny it outright is just unbelievable to me. In the men's sports, right? You don't see trans men going into men's sport and just completely dominating and wiping the field with them. This is what happens when you, Great point. in my opinion, twist God's design. And when you go <laughs> against God's design, you create these problems that you wouldn't have if you well, weren't going against what God intended. I, I'm going to take her side a little bit on that. And let me say one more thing, and I'm supporting you on this one. There are, I mean, there's a great deal of, of women that, and actually there was a lady in the last Olympics that they actually disqualified until she went on uh, androgen blockers to knock her testosterone down to a female level. Like I said, this is not a, a binary yes or no question. And, and the whole idea of messing with what you know God puts up you know, I, God put me up, okay, if you want to take that. Um, you know, and I had this conversation with a very uh, religious man in San Diego, and he was like, oh, I don't quite know how to deal with that. And God made you that way, but he didn't make a lot of the people transitioning. <laughs> I understand. You know, but God also understands my transition. God, first of all, knew what I was going to be in my life. God already knew. It's almost like, okay, what, what's the point of having the conversation clearly you guys all have your own separate visions of possible faith i don't know whether or not they describe themselves as being faithful to any sort of god or beholden to a god uh but clearly you guys are gonna not agree on this like that's not gonna go anywhere no no no, no. and one thing that's interesting here is um gina she was she was talking about um you know this isn't a this isn't a binary uh thing here um but i i feel as though we're we're missing the point yes there are exceptions to the rule right mm -hmm. as you as you stated in the discussion with buck and blossom um there are exceptions but we as a society and we saw this throughout the pandemic as well it seems as though like any any small sliver of let's just call it risk here mm -hmm. um we have to deal with and that's what we have to deem as like the most important thing and in the same yeah. situation here any sliver of you know a random biological um situation anomaly, yeah. anomaly uh happens to be the common um situation for everyone um, right and it's it's just a strange way of thinking yeah it's the same way like when you when you're talking to transgender people about gender ideology and they go well look at intersex people which is what gina is an intersex person they go well look at intersex people they're born not being being able to distinguish so that validates my identity whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second a statistical anomaly that happens like so so rarely does not justify the radical bounce in ideology that you are taking right now to convince me that men can transition to be females. It does not. It does not justify <laughs> that. Uh, so it's like that movie. He's just not that into you. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen that movie with like Jennifer Aniston and uh, and all these different uh, A-list celebrities in it. But the girl's like, no, like we've we've been together for 13 years. He's gonna propose. He's gonna propose. And he's like. Yeah, I had a friend once who was with her boyfriend for 20 years and then suddenly he got down on one knee and proposed. Yeah, there are exceptions to the rule, but the rule typically is if the guy's with you for 10 plus years and he's not proposing to you, he probably doesn't want to propose to you. Of course, Jennifer Aniston gets engaged by the end of the movie, but I'll take the lesson. <laughs> Dysphoria is real. Oh, we got a... <laughs> 
plug back oh, in. Okay. <laughs> Technical difficulties all around. Yeah, so the next statement is gender dysphoria is real, and I walked forward for this one because, yeah, gender dysphoria is legit. Oh. Find the lowest and a man. <laughs> I can't deal with this, guys. I swear, I'm gonna get ad blockers on this computer. Somebody said I'm a Zoomer and I don't have ad blockers and that I should be ashamed of myself. And I do feel ashamed. Anyways, gender dysphoria is real. Certainly not as big as the numbers we're seeing now. It's like, again, a statistical anomaly to feel dysphoric in your gender. And now we're treating it like it's just an average Tuesday at home. I think it is obviously real because many people experience it, but like, any kind of dysphoria, whether it's someone who thinks they're overweight or anything, I think it should be treated as not reality. Like if I thought I was obese, I wouldn't want to go to a affirming therapist to tell me, yes, you are obese and you should, you know, get skinnier. Well, I, I had the opportunity of working on the DSM-4, I think it was, when we, when we actually declassified uh, transgender dysphoria from a mental illness to a condition. You know, I had been, at that point in time, I'd been cross-dressing for 50 years. And, um, you know, because that dysphoria was there and every single thing I did to try to drive it away didn't work. I spent millions of dollars trying to be the coolest dude in the world. You know, I bought airplanes, I bought everything that I could to just show the world how masculine I was. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. It didn't go away. And I did therapy. I had, I purposely went to a therapist that was anti-gender affirming. And literally he said, you need to do this, <laughs> you know, and because it was so deep seated. And you are going to have cases like that. Undeniable that you are going to have cases like that. And Gina, of course, we're far more sympathetic to as far as the background of being intersex and having your parents choose your biological sex and then that going awry. Totally uh, unique, very, very unique situation. Uh, but yeah, she talks about the declassification of gender dysphoria from illness to condition, which is just fascinating. And I want to read more about that and why they chose to make that decision, because I don't see what's wrong with saying that it is a form of illness, and there are many trans people who agree. I mean, if you're waking up every morning, looking in the mirror, feeling disgusted in yourself, like burning in your body for how you look and how you feel, is that not illness? And maybe it's because we've stigmatized mental illness in, in some generations and some view that as an inherently negative thing, uh, but now like we're being dishonest about what what illness looks like because I can't think of something that looks more like illness and, and mental illness in particular than waking up looking in the mirror and feeling disgusted with what it is that you see. If I was waking up looking in the mirror and saying, I'm morbidly obese, I need to stop eating, I need to go run around the block 15 times before I drink a glass of water, people would look at me and say, you have a mental illness. And that's something that we can deal with and it's normal. Like a lot of people have uh, mental issues and afflictions that they have to deal with, but let's put you down the proper route to treatment. I don't know what's wrong with saying that, why that's transphobic. Spent six weeks as Gina with my son. And uh, at the end of that period of time, he asked two very fundamental questions. The most important one was, it's gotta be truly exhausting for you to lead two lives. And I was kind of like, that kind of shook me to the core that my 
22-year-old son uh, saw that better than I did. So shortly thereafter, I uh, announced to my family that uh, I was going to transition. Uh, my wife and I separated because of it. The kids wow. were not necessarily shocked, but you know, understood and, um, and have supported me quite well. And my wife has actually become uh, a very good, you know, very warm, supporting person. Can you imagine just being anybody in that entire situation? Being him in that situation saying, guys, I really am a woman and I'm gonna go down this route of medical transitioning. I tried to go to a doctor who would steer me away from it and keep me in this body that I'm in. And even he's recommending that I transition to be female. Imagine being the wife who's been married to a man for a very long time and that man telling you, I'm a woman. Imagine being the children who grew up with this fatherly figure and watching this person just struggle through life day in and day out and then being told, I'm a woman and I'm going to go through this. Rough position to be in for anybody. Oh, yeah, I, I can't even I can't even imagine what that would be like for any of those members um, yeah. of the family. But um, one thing I did want to bring up and ask is, like, do you think they're um, and I, obviously I, I feel for these people who yeah. truly have this issue um, and, and mental mental block. But do you feel as like a society as a whole um, due to the victimhood, um, you know, idolization of society right now um, in the culture? Um, do you think there is a an incentive for people to um, kind of lean into their um, apparent or uh, what they what they think is a mental disorder, but it just so happens to be part of growing up and, and learning life and, and learning how to live through it? Um, do you totally. think there's just people um, accepting that and wanting almost to to have that mental issue um, bring it to life? Totally, and especially young people. It's like as young people, we are looking for something to struggle with and like contend with. And I mean, the, the numbers show it too. You've got like young people, particularly girls. So like, why is this affecting girls more than it's affecting guys? If this is something that's totally normal across the board and we're all equal but different and all this different stuff. And why are girls being so heavily affected by it? And why are they being affected at ages where girls typically go through a whole bunch of emotional and hormonal turmoil? It's happening to young girls like right on the precipice of puberty or in the middle of their puberty where you're already as a young woman feeling so much discomfort with your body. You are like forsaking yourself. You're like, this is horrible. I don't know what's going on. I'm only 13. I'm only 14. I'm only 15. Freaking out in your brain, feeling a whole lot of discomfort. And then you couple that with like, you're feeling uncomfortable. Maybe you're a boy. And then you're going through this normal process of puberty. And then it becomes abnormal because somebody's given you this idea. And then you latch yourself onto the idea. Because there are actual things happening hormonally in your body to justify you thinking that way. And then it just goes down the rabbit hole. It's crazy. Yeah. And this may be me speaking out of turn due to the fact that I'm not a female. But yeah. um, <laughs> but isn't, isn't there something to be said also for uh, younger females? It, the way boys and girls at that age kind of um, figure out uh, the hierarchy, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, you know, men and boys are, are just more physical in their nature and how they interact and, yeah. and kind of parse that out. Um, and females, I would 
tend to guess are a little more psychological in their in their attacks to other females as they try and figure out who's who's in the pecking order and who or who's at yeah. the top and whatnot. And I can only imagine that adds to the difficulty of figuring that out. Oh, 100 percent. You're like looking at other girls and being like, oh, my gosh, she's more feminine than me or she's farther along than me or more guys are interested in her than me or no guys are interested in me at all. And you're going through puberty and then you're like, oh, maybe I'm just not part of this group. Maybe that's what's happening. I already feel rejected by this group socially. Now I feel it physically and hormonally. And now I have a narrative that somebody's giving me that I could just not be a part of that group. And that could be something that I'm just starting to recognize. So it's just like a recipe for disaster. Mm. And it's like no wonder that girls are going through this far more like in a hardcore, hardcore sense than, than boys are. Gender dysphoria almost made me kill myself. And coming from Mississippi, at the time, there wasn't a lot of access to gender-affirming resources, like hormones, if I wanted surgery, whatever the case may be. And a lot of us trans folks who don't have access like that, a lot of us have to do sex work to be able to afford some of these things as well. Me coming up at the age of... Have to is a strong... 20, and I knew I had a serious gender dysphoria, I did things to my body that I should have went to a hospital to do. That is something that's very, very hard for people to understand. A lot of us commit suicide because of gender dysphoria. And so it hits our community a lot harder. I do think uh, gender dysphoria is, is very much real. I think the issue that's happened, especially in the space of science and research, is that we've looked at gender dysphoria and said the only source of care that we can go through is blind gender affirmation care. And a lot of the research Let's look at this. It says receipt of gender affirming interventions, and this is a fact check they put, specifically PBs and GAHs, uh, was associated with 60% lower odds of moderate to severe depressive symptoms and 73% lower odds of self-harm or suicidal thoughts during the first year of multidisciplinary gender care from the University of Washington, peer-reviewed study that is already has a, a counter study to it that is out on the internet that you guys can look into. And when I saw that, when I read the sentence, I was like, I know it was a U.S. study, and of course, it's the University of Washington. Surprise, surprise, because the U.S. has yet to engage in nonpartisan studying of gender dysphoria. It is, all, like, for the most part, always down a route of blind affirmation, or you have a couple of studies funded by uh, right-wing uh, individuals and uh, corporations and entities that are trying to disprove it. No, like, nonpartisan, put the scientists in the field and allow them to come to a conclusion. And when that is done in other countries, guess what conclusion they come to? Not this one. <laughs> Not that it's lowering your, your symptoms of depression. Not that it's lowering your odds of self-harm. In fact, that they remain just about the same. Yeah. And to your point earlier in the show where you were asking or when Blossom brought up uh, the suicide rate of transgender people and you were like, no, the question we need to ask is why? Yep. Why? It's not because necessarily or it can't all be because of this apparent um, uh, discrimination. You right. know, there is something un underneath the surface of all of this that we need to get to. And it's more of a psychological issue than anything. And we need to make make these studies um, happen and mm -hmm. uh, make them public. Yeah. And, and Blossom just said, what did she say? She said, I wanted to commit suicide or people want to commit suicide because of gender dysphoria, not because of how others treat people with gender dysphoria. Mm. She said because of gender dysphoria might have been a Freudian slip. <laughs> shows that this is not the route to go into. And other countries that have decided to do nonpartisan research, Sweden, Finland, have decided that 
Yes, gender affirmation care should be an option, but it really should be the last resort when it comes to treating people who uh, appear at clinics with gender dysphoria. And, you know, a lot of conservatives will deny and say, well, gender affirmation care does not make them happier. And in many cases, that is true. But there are the cases like your most cases, I should have said, or yourselves, where the gender affirmation care does make them happier. You know, I know a lot of people that have uh, transitioned, have untransitioned. I've talked with a gentleman at a uh, at a religious right convention one day, and he was sitting there screaming how Jesus got him out of his gender transition. And honestly, that was the saddest man I've ever talked to in my life. When, when I looked at him straight in the eyes, and I, I said, you know, here, I, I don't agree with what you say, but I 100% support your right to say that. And he just literally broke down crying on the steps of the Supreme Court. If know. I could interject really quickly, I do. No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I feel as though the medical profession is actually inching towards a space that is going to become unsafe for people who try to express their gender dysphoria. Because now we have young children coming into clinics yeah. expressing this, who by and large, statistically, about 60 to 70 percent grow out of that dysphoria. But because it's become a political issue, where, where many activists have come in and say, no, you blindly affirm you affirm to, to the furthest extent that you can, rather than going through a, a more comprehensive process with these children, we have a, a, what I think is a medical tragedy happening against young people in this country. I have been sexually harassed. And we don't even need to get into the last question because we are pressed for time. But yeah, this was an interesting experience. An experience that I'm very glad that I, I did and went into just open-minded and, and thought, yeah, of course. I, I talk about this issue all the time. Why would I not want to talk to people who are directly affected by it? And I think that's why, that's how we should approach all of these issues. It's very easy to like sit back here and talk about all these different groups of people and everything that's going on. But when you're faced with the actual people you're talking about, it's important that you step forward and go, yeah, I want to have that conversation and I do want to sit down. And we are going to be sitting down with Gina, who everybody is saying in the chat is super based. <laughs> so Gina's going to be in studio, hopefully uh, in January, to sit and, and talk through this a little bit more because I do want to dive deeper into her story because, like I said, particularly unique, having had your parents pick your sex and then ended up transitioning later on in life. So really fascinating. Glad the discussion was had. And hopefully I'll, I'll come back for some, some more Jubilee middle grounds. I don't know what the next one will be. Yeah, no, I, I think everybody loves you on these things because you're, you're, you're at least contending with, with a bunch of the people who are just spouting these leftist ideas. And at least you're, you're, you're putting up a fight for sure. Uh, whereas in right. a lot of these Jubilee videos, you're, you're kind of getting just the doldrums of of the right talking points but I, I love how you're you're digging deeper and i think so does everybody else thanks scott yeah i went to the comments after this came out and i was like oh gosh i'm scared i'm scared because every single jubilee video where they do like conservatives versus x it's like the worst comments people being like dragging the conservatives through the mud and i went and read it and it was like oh Amala spoke in really good faith. I respected the things that she said, even though I disagree with her. I want to see her and Gina have a conversation. So I was shocked. And I, I hope that it has something to do with walking into the conversation saying, you know, I want to let them give voice to their experiences and what they think. But I also want to respectfully disagree on the foundations of what they are advocating for or what they may be advocating for. So hopefully that came across. And I think it's given me guidance for how to have future conversations and how to how to talk on this show in a way that really bridges the gap between 
left and right on these issues because it's a hard one to get through. A lot of people hear conservative and immediately have made up their minds. So we're constantly trying to switch that on its head and, and hopefully shock people with how respectful we are and how uh, we we give their opinions in in good faith. So that's what we'll continue to do on the show. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and I hope you guys enjoyed watching me on Jubilee Middle Ground come in full circle after we've been reacting to the show for so long, and hopefully I'll be on future episodes of Middle Ground. I almost did feminist versus anti-feminist, but I was out of town for work, so maybe next time. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Please like, subscribe, click the notification bell to be notified every single time we go live. That is Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. We also post every single day of the week because we love to keep the content coming. And drop a congratulations to Taylor, who is now living it up in Nashville in his new home with his wife, who will be on the show periodically. Not his wife, but Taylor. <laughs> Taylor will be on the show periodically. Guys, thank you so much for watching and have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you Monday. Peace. Bye.